It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll right get now, through the it. COVID-19 vaccines are are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, TGIF, folks, it is, uh, in fact, Friday, but we've got a great show in store. As always, we like to uh, shine the spotlight on the uh, world of entertainment, and uh, we've actually got a couple of return guests on the show today coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour author uh, melissa de la cruz will be joining us now a lot has happened since the last time she was on the show uh promoting her new book then uh, never after she now has her own studio at uh, walt disney in uh Los Angeles, and is helping with the production of uh, books into movies and and television programs and so on. But she has a new book out. This is kind of uh, fascinating. Um, Disney rebooted High School Musical, did a, a complete reboot of uh, the series. It's not a not a uh, it's not a sequel. It's it's. Uh, not a reunion it's it's a whole new reboot it's um and they turned to melissa de la cruz to do the companion book and it's uh it's called high school musical the musical the series the road trip and uh, we're going to talk with melissa about all of that 
coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. Um, and in the middle, in the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour, um, author uh, Judith Halbrick is uh, returning to the show. Um, she wrote the book... Uh, the audacity to be divine and she talks about her mom's legacy and we thought it'd be fun to get her back just before mother's day to talk about the book and about uh oh her work with uh um home of champions and uh, and other things so we'll talk with judith coming up in the second hour but this first hour we're going to talk with uh, robert Beatty, who is the author of the seraphina series speaking of uh people who've had stories made into uh, film and television. Um, he has a new book called Willa of Dark Hollow, and we're going to be talking with uh, Robert coming up in just a few minutes. But we have an extra few minutes, and whenever we have an extra few minutes, it's always kind of fun to squeeze in some uh, local music. So we are going to... Uh, have a little musical interlude here from my good friend Steve McComb down in the Nashville office and this is from his uh, 2012 CD called Come On In and it's uh, it seems kind of a, uh, an appropriate lead-in to uh, our conversation with Robert Beatty um, author of Willa of Dark Hollow uh, because the song is called The Old Dark Road and uh, so anyway, we'll hear music from uh, my buddy Steve McComb, or Michigan Steve, and uh, and then we'll we'll get into it with uh, author Robert Beatty. So stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We got uh, music and all kinds of fun coming up on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. <laughs> Much you control. 
forgiveness down that old dark road Down that old dark road I found strength I didn't know Till I found myself walking down that old dark road Down that old dark road I found strength I didn't know Till I found myself walking down that road Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Serafina series and the Willa of the Woods series, published by Disney Hyperion. Uh, The newest book that we're going to talk about a little bit is Willa of Dark Hollow, and uh, it's by Robert Beatty, who joins me by phone. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Did I say your last name right? Yeah, that's fine. Beatty is okay? Yes. Okay. Um, so, Robert, I was, I was reading a little bit about you, and it um, talks about uh, Beatty Robotics and... Um, narrative magazine and and some of the other things you've done but how did you get interested in writing especially for young audiences well i actually grew up in michigan uh not too far from you so i grew up in like uh, lake orion and clarkston and lapeer oh that's very close yeah yeah i thought you might like that so I come from your neck of the woods originally, and I used to love going up north with my 
family and loved the forests up there and just got <clears throat> really connected to nature. And so I loved reading. And then one day I ran out of books to read in my house and we didn't have Kindles or anything like that back then. So my mom said, well, why don't you pull out the old typewriter that's in the closet and give it a try, play with that. And so I started writing my first novel when I was 11 years old. I just <laughs> typed in chapter one and I just started making up a story. And I thought, this is really fun. I enjoy doing that. So I gave it to my mom and she read it and gave me some feedback on it. And I thought, okay, I can, I can do better next time. So I wrote another one and I just kept writing novels for my whole life. At the same time, when I was 11, uh, my dad used to work at Consumers Power and uh, the power company there in Michigan, and sure. he took me to look at these big, giant things called computers, and he said, this is the wave of the future. And so he got me interested in computers, and I started learning about them, and I started software programming and getting into technology, and uh, those were my kind of twin passions when I was young. And I got a degree in engineering from Michigan State University. And, uh, but I was probably the only engineering student who was also taking theory of literature and Shakespeare classes and things like that while trying to get an engineering degree. But uh, I ended up joining a manufacturing company as an engineer, worked for them for about 10 years. I was writing novels the whole time and uh, in my spare time. And then... Uh, that company was in Oxford, Michigan. And then I split off and became the founder and CEO of an internet software company called Plex. And uh, I ran Plex for many years and really enjoyed it, but the whole time I was writing novels. So then eventually I sold Plex, and which is still headquartered in Michigan, and I started writing novels full-time. And I moved down to the mountains of North Carolina, which is where I am now, and I started writing novels for my daughters. So uh, they were just about 9 or, and 11 at the time. Uh, actually, I have three daughters. The other one was three at the time. And I decided to write a novel for my daughters and see how that worked out. And that turned out to be, with their help, they actually helped me write the novels, um, with their help, that turned out to be my breakthrough novel, and uh, it was published by Disney, and then all of my books after that became New York Times bestsellers. So that's a little bit of the background of how I became a writer. And how did you end up in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains? Well, I just, you know, I just really liked the forest and the mountains down here and I just thought it was a beautiful area and I had the opportunity to live anywhere I wanted to live and I thought I, I'll try something new. I had lived in Michigan for about 46 years, totally loved it, but had fully explored it, so I decided I'll go explore a new area. More with author Robert Beatty straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Robert Beatty straight ahead. The land where Dark <coughs> Hollow exists is in the Great Smoky Mountains and, and has been there somewhat undiscovered for as long as the trees have grown there, as, as the description goes. Um, when you're creating a world for these characters to live in, how much do you draw on your experience in Michigan and then later in North Carolina? A lot, actually. So Dark Hollow, although it is a location that I describe in the Smoky Mountains, the motivation for it or the inspiration actually comes from a place up in northern Michigan where we had a cottage on the Asabo River in near Grayling. And I used to go out into the woods there, and there's this beautiful area of forest and kind of like a glade where there was a, a meadow. And it was just this lovely place that I used to go to uh, until some loggers came by and cut the, all the trees down. And it was very disturbing to me, as you can imagine. Yeah. And so that's a little bit of the story of Willa of Dark Hollow is more or less pulled from my childhood experience and my love for the the forest, but then also my heartbreak to see some of it get cut down. Now, this book, Willa of uh, Dark Hollow, is a companion to Willa of the Wood. What's the difference between the wood and Dark Hollow? Yeah, so Willa of the Wood was the first book, and then Willa of Dark Hollow is the second book. But you can just start with Willa of Dark Hollow. You don't have to read the first Willa book or any of my previous Serafina books. Um, I wrote Dark Hollow such that new readers could just start in, there and understand the, the story. So Willa of the Wood, the first book, uh, Willa is younger and more naive at that point and is still learning about all the different races and people of the place she lives. So she encounters, well, she herself is a, of a race called Farron, and she has these forest, these magical forest powers, but uh, she also encounters homesteaders and Cherokee, because the Cherokee uh, tribes live down here uh, in the story, but also in real life, the Cherokee live here. And so that first story is much more about her coming to understand that there are many different types of people in the world and that they all have different perspectives and motivations and needs. Whereas the second story, she uh, has an adopted human family that she's working with, or sorry, living with, and she is, uh, her father is a, Europe, a man of European descent who has lived in the Smoky Mountains for generations on a homestead that he owns. He's married to a Cherokee woman. And the Willa's adopted brothers and sisters are all Cherokee. And uh, they have to work together to try to save the forest and save the place that they live from these industrial loggers that are coming in and bringing in their steam-powered logging equipment and cutting down the forest. 
And how is it that, um, well, let me, let me ask, I'll save that for a little bit later, but um, when you refer to this uh, Willow of Dark Hollow as a companion to Willow of uh, the Wood, is that, do I have that right? Yeah, Willow of the Wood. Um, you refer to it as a companion book. Um, how is it not a series, or is it a series? It is a series, but we use the word companion to indicate that you don't have to read the first book. I see. Okay. So it's, it's like next to it. It's like its friend. It's its companion. Rather than, this is book two, so you better read book one first. That, now, that's not the case with the Willow book. Now, the, um, your previous series, uh, the Serafina series, did you know when you started writing that that it was going to be a series? I did, yes. So, funny story on that. So, I wrote the Serafina and the Black Cloak, and it is the first part of... Serafina's full story, and I knew the broad strokes of what I wanted to write for her whole story. Um, but I also knew that the contract that I had with Disney was for just one book. And so I wrote Serafina and the Black Cloak such that it would stand alone as its own book, but that I could also continue on with it if I was given that opportunity. And I asked the folks at Disney as soon as they they bought the first book, I said, do you want me to write the second book? And they said, no, don't get ahead of yourself. You know, no one's heard of you, and uh, this is the first, you know, just your first book, and we'll just see how it goes. And so I said, all right, I'll, I'll work on, they said, go work on something entirely different. So I started working on the first Willow book, and I was right in the middle of that when, Serafina and the Black Cloak came out, and it became an instant number one New York Times bestseller. <laughs> and Disney called me up and said, quick write, the, not, quick, write the sequel as soon as possible. And I'm like, well, I'm working on Willow of the Wood. That's what you asked me to work on. And they said, forget that. What are you working on that for? Work on the new Serafina novel. We need a sequel fast. And they said, well, you know, how fast can you write it? And they said um, they wanted it in months, and I said, well, I, I can do it in a year. How about that? And so that's what we agreed to, and uh, I wrote the second Serafina book in a year, and we published it. I've been publishing a new book each year since then. Now, this, in, in some ways, this started out as, as something you wanted to do for your daughters, to offer, you know, strong young women characters and um tell stories that they might, you know, enjoy. And aside from the enjoyment, um, how much influence does this have on, do your books have on young people deciding to read? And how is it that your books are, are being taught in classrooms? Well, one of the things is I wanted to mix and blend the story such that it was, yes, exciting and gripping to read and fun to read, but I also wanted to layer in the history elements and the elements about society and personal character and things like that. So I mixed them together. And so 
when I sit down to write a story, I know that a reader, whether it's a young reader or an adult reader, has a tremendous amount of things going on around them in their lives. There's a great cacophony of noise of, of media. And so I thought I really need to write a story that grips the reader very quickly and pulls them into this immersive world of Willa and keeps them interested and, and keeps the action moving very rapidly. And so there's a number of reasons why they're being taught in so many classrooms around the country. And the first one is that kids just like to read it. They just are pulled into the story. And let's say their teacher is reading it out loud to them. They don't want to stop. They're like, don't stop there, because all the chapters end on a cliffhanger. And so they beg for the, the teacher to read the next chapter. And that's not normal, right? You don't usually have kids begging to, to have the next chapter read. They'd rather go out and play at resource recess or whatever. So I think the main reason teachers love it is because it's gripping the kids and getting them reading. And then the other part is the history, is the the character showing what how a good moral character behaves and things like that because i was surprised to find out but it is true that teachers are very much involved in the development of the moral character of their kids not just teaching them math and science and english and so on they actually are showing them and inspiring them to become better people and so that's part of the role of the teacher, and that's part of the role of the stories. And the the images, the the places that you create in in these books, um, inspired by you know northern Michigan and and uh, wooded areas in Michigan, the mountains in North Carolina. Um, it ends up creating something that's very visual in the place, and place plays an important part in your books. Do you picture these, do you think of these as, as almost like movies? Uh, yes, when I am writing it, I'm definitely visualizing it and imagining it in my mind, so I'm seeing the place. Like, if you were to ask me to describe Dark Hollow or describe any of the places in the books I write, I could very much describe them. Now, in addition to that, uh, Willa of Dark Hollow and Willa of the Wood, uh, we're turning those into a live-action television series, and I'm working as the executive producer on the television series, and we're developing the the screenplay. We're coming up with the concept art and the settings and pulling together the whole team to go into production here. And I'm working with the famous actress Amy Adams, uh, who's also a producer. She owns her own production company. And a funny story about that is that she and her 11-year-old daughter discovered uh, Willa of the Wood, and they started reading it out loud to each other at night, every night at bedtime. And so over the course of months reading this novel together, they fell in love with it. And so her daughter said, Mom, this is the kind of movie you should make. 
And so uh, Amy Adams went to her colleague at Entertainment One, who had just acquired the uh, dramatic rights to the Willa series, and they got together, and that's how it's becoming a television series. Well, that's wonderful. Um, now, will these uh, the the scripts for these television shows will they be independent of the books, or do you have to start really churning out these books, Robert, so that they can <laughs> so that they can base the stories on your books? Right. So, yeah, I don't want to get in a G.R.R. Martin Game of Thrones type situation, right? <laughs> uh, so our plan is that the Willa of the Wood will be two seasons and Willa of Dark Hollow will be two seasons. And so we have four seasons there. And once we start going into production and if it starts doing well, then I will write another Willa book and give us more more content to work with. And and so the uh, the the seasons will be based on the entire book. Yes, yeah. The the series, the television series, will follow the books very closely. Yes. Now it takes a while to get a book out. H- how long is it going to be before we're actually seeing these stories on uh, television, Robert? It's going to be a while. We're in the we're not in the early stages. We're in the medium stages now, middle stages. Uh, we're developing the screenplay and, and pulling everything together. So we we hope to go into production pretty soon. Uh, but I would say in a year or so we should start to see uh, the beginnings of it. In the in the creative process, when when you first began writing like for example the Serafina series did you start out with a group of characters and then figure out what kinds of things would happen to them or did you have stories you wanted to tell and then cast them with characters yeah so that's a very good question I start with the character and I knew that I wanted Willa to be the character and it all came from the center piece of the character herself. And then, of course, with Willa, she's very much tied to her physical environment, the setting of the Smoky Mountains. But then the conflict came later when I thought, okay, I've got this cool, magical forest girl, but what kind of conflicts does she encounter? What are the troubles of her life? Yeah, if everything's perfect, it doesn't make as yeah. much of a story, you can write does a it? book where everything's working out nicely. That's boring. Yeah. <laughs> so you wanna, yeah, you got to throw your character right into the thick of things right away and get the story moving as fast as possible. When did you know you were going to be able to um, become a full-time writer? Well, I had the great honor and fortune to be able to sell my software company and then make myself a full-time writer even before I got fully published. So I had the opportunity to dedicate myself fully to the career of writing. And then it took several years of doing that before I actually was able to get published by Disney, and my career took off. And 
do you like writing better than working with software? <laughs> wow, that's a loaded question. Uh, I do love writing, and I've always been writing, even when I was writing a, running a software company. I miss running a software company. I love the technology. I love the people I worked with. Uh, I love the hardware and the server data rooms and all that hardcore technology. It was really my life and my soul at the time. But I also love the writing. So I did that for a long time and achieved a certain level of success with it and was satisfied with it. And although I was satisfied with that part of my career, I did not yet feel satisfied with my writing career, so that's why I went and pursued that uh, with my full-time effort and then eventually succeeded at that. I, I'm uh, wrestling with how, uh, how to ask this next question because it really has to do with um, the natural settings in your books versus a career in tech. Um, is there much to reconcile there? Well, there's nothing to reconcile or that's uh, contradictory about those things, I don't think at all. Uh, in terms of sometimes it surprises people to hear, well, you're a software programmer, an engineer, and you write fantasy novels? Isn't that kind of weird or unusual? And, and that all I take places I, in these, I, these, you know, sort of, wooden, um, you know, foresty, undeveloped areas. It it just seems like it's two completely different worlds. Yeah, they are completely different worlds, but um, I think that the world of technology and software and innovation is part of the solution for protecting and keeping all of these areas safe and good, beautiful places. So I, I see them as not unconnected. Um, and I, when I sit down to write, you know, I'm using a computer, I'm plotting out a story, I'm making sure all the details are just right. So the process is actually very similar to writing software. Uh, I know that sounds strange to a lot of people, but they are very similar processes in a way. And you'd be surprised, the software programmers out there, the engineers out there, are very creative people. They just express it in a different way. Did that answer your question a little bit? Oh, yeah, I think so. Uh, do your daughters yeah. continue to play a role in, in helping to shape your stories? Oh, yes, very much so. So my daughters and I, in addition to uh, working on the books together, uh, we also... Uh, started doing electronics projects and building robots together. Uh, we have a workshop, and so we have been designing and building these creative robots and electronic projects for years, and uh, that's the other thing that we do together. And so one of my daughters actually went into engineering school, so she studies engineering at uh, Columbia in New York City now. Uh, she's actually on an internship working at Tesla. So she's definitely in a, the high-tech world. And then my other daughter kind of veered off to, on the other path of that, and she went into art school. So she's in Rhode Island going to art school, and she's at college there. 
and they still read my stories and provide feedback uh, from a distance. And then my youngest daughter, Elizabeth, she's nine now, and uh, she's not as interested in engineering or, or going to art school. She's interested in animation and telling stories through animation. Ooh. So she is directly involved with Willa of Darkalo and helped me write it and uh, really has been a great asset to me as I write the story. Um, Robert, I, I, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I always want to try to, to let uh, guests share with the listeners how they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yes, my website is robertbeattybooks.com. So robertbeattybooks.com. And there's a lot of videos there. Uh, We have video book trailers that you can see, and there's pictures there. So there's a lot to see there. I'm also on Facebook. It's Robert Beatty Books. And uh, I'm on Instagram as well. Well, Robert, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. Um, keep up the good work, and thanks for sharing some time with us this morning. Well, thank you very much. I just wanted to say hello to everybody in Michigan. I hope you're doing well. Stay warm up there, and uh, we'll uh, see you later. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. That was uh, Robert Beatty. He is a uh, New York Times best-selling author of the Serafina series, his new series is uh, the Willa series, starting with uh, Willa of the Wood, and now Willa of Dark Hollow, which will, uh, in the in the near future, uh, be available as a television series as well. And with that, we're going to have more of the Tom Sumner program. <laughs> comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful, awful.
Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490.
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. We'd like to do a uh, song from a Broadway show. The show is Paint Your Wagon, and the song is I Talk to the Trees. To the stars, but they never hear me. The breeze hasn't time. The breeze hasn't time to stop and hear what I hear say. What I, say. I, talk to them all. I talk to them all in vain. But suddenly, my suddenly. Stupid song. <laughs> Every time that I that yeah, I hear you sing time. that song, I think it. Boy, what a stupid song. Yeah, you think it, but it's a, you really pick a fine time to tell me about it. Well, I wanted to surprise you. No, oh. yeah. you succeeded. You surprised me. But for your information. Talk to the Trees is not stupid. It's, it's from a hit Broadway show entitled Paint Your Wagon, which was a great show. A lot of great songs. Paint Your Wagon? <laughs> yeah. Stupid, sounds like a stupid show and a stupid song. And it's a dumb... And anybody connected with a show or a song like that has got to be a stupid, dumb, weirdo freak. All right, I agree with you. The show happens to be about a young man very much like yourself. Maybe I spoke a little hastily. It's about a young man very much like my brother. He's young and shy and bashful, very timid. But he's so much in love. That, that makes everything all right. He was so much in love. It was his first love. But he was so bashful that he was afraid to tell his sweetheart that he loved her. And she knew not of his love. But he had to tell someone or something because it, this frustration, this terrible feeling was building up within him. And... Finally, he did a very beautiful thing. He went out did into the Did he tell country. her that he loved her? No. He never did. He wished he could. He wished he had the courage to walk up to her and take her by the hand and look deeply into her eyes and say very simply and truthfully, I love you. I love you very much. And I only hope that one day you may grow to love me half as much as I love you right now. I will. Because I... <laughs> That's just enough. But he couldn't do that. So one day he went out in the countryside and he tried to communicate with Mother Nature's wise old trees and, and talk to these trees and tell these marvels of nature, these wise old trees of his great love. You guys love, are real nut. <laughs> no, he's not a nut. Sneaking off into the forest to talk to the trees. <laughs> Tommy, that's not what he did. Hi there, Mr. Tree. How are you? How's Mrs. Tree? <laughs> All the little bushes. <laughs> a guy like that would talk to a fire he hydrant. Didn't. Hi there, Firehide. I've just been talking to this big old tree over here. <laughs> Certainly have a lot in common, you two. <laughs> All right, now that is just enough. Tommy, don't you understand at all? Just a second. Hi there, Stage. Used to be a tree, didn't you? <laughs> 
you are a very shallow, callow individual. You have made fun of this song. You haven't even tried to understand. Who's your fat friend? <laughs> that was to be a trade engine, fatty. <laughs> you leave my base alone. What happens? You hang around with the wrong type of people. Shut up! <laughs> you really should be proud of yourself. Really, you should be very proud of yourself. You stood up here and you ridiculed me. You ridiculed this song. You ridiculed a wonderful show. And, it's, and you think everybody's proud of you out there. You think they're all looking up there and say, Oh, why? Isn't he a sharp, clever boy? No, they're all staring at you. They're staring and wondering. And you know what you've shown them? You've shown them how crass, how shallow, how unfeeling an individual can be, how totally void of any poetic beauty in your entire makeup, your entire soul. You didn't understand the song? You ridiculed me, and you've come down why a, a you notch or two. That's you, all I've got to say. You, you what? Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't care what you do now. You didn't like... Go ahead. You talked, you talked mean to me, and, and you said that I didn't have any sensitivity, and I was a crass, shallow person. I happen to be a person, too, Dickie, and I have sensitivity, and I have feeling, and I have love in my heart. I'm sensitive to every little blade of grass that grows. But I wouldn't talk to him. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Names and faces, but to whom do they belong? 
Come on, get out of here. <laughs>